This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Craig, you have a podcasting mode that you enter into like mentally? A little bit. When you're podcasting? I usually get dumber. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> We've been doing this for like 150 <laughs> episodes now. I don't know if you noticed. I turn on the dumb. Now, now I'm not saying that I fabricate the dumb. It is You part just like of lean into truth. it. In, right. in a way where like in a social situation, maybe you would keep your Lean mouth away shut and it. just like and nod and be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just act like you know what's going on. Yeah. On this show, you can be like, I'm stupid. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not even going to pretend to pick up context clues that could tell me what you're talking about. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes uh, our uh, awesome listeners will write in to tell me to explain a thing <laughs> you've said to me that I like purposely didn't get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as like a goof and it's kind of maybe i should oh. re-examine my life if no. that's not coming across as a goof no craig you shouldn't re-examine your life it's just a sign that you have the right audience and that your audience is pedants that's pedants are like the best audience sometimes like... when you say pedants i i keep hearing tuppence like from mary poppins <laughs> sometimes i hear peasants <laughs> which is the people you give tuppence to oh real Delightful fact from my early library career, back when we used to have like print journals in substantial numbers in the libraries where I work at, the mm. best journal we had a large print subscription to was called the Journal of Peasant Studies. And I just, every time I shelved it, I would have this potent image of just like a Tweety professor, like with like a snifter of like real expensive brandy, like sitting in his Fancy jacket and the leather chair flipping in, the pages to just up being in like the ah, ivory ah, tower. Yeah. Peasants. <laughs> Flip. Listen, man, I worked Flip. in higher education for a while. I've seen <laughs> speakers' fees that some of these people oh. get. I don't think that's super far from what we're Speakers' really fees are legit. Welcome yeah. to Overdue. This is a podcast <laughs> about the books that you've been meaning to read, as you can clearly tell. My name is Craig. And my name is Andrew. And I'm Margaret. I'm joining them this week. <laughs> Hello, yeah. Margaret. <laughs> oh, it's Margaret. really weird for me to not be in the like intro host driver's seat. Well, this is if my I'm bus. In my... <laughs> I know, but like if I'm and in if... my podcasting closet, <laughs> like I feel like I should be the one, one doing the intro and two messing it up at least three times. Listen, if you don't like it, you look to your right. You'll see a cord on the wall <laughs> that you can pull to stop the podcast bus and get off. Now this bus yeah. was forty minutes late, and I've hit <laughs> seven parked cars. But it's my bus. I've turned on the mode, which is dumb bus driver, and we are going to run over some books today, okay? Woohoo! It sounds great. Margaret. So, Craig, Margaret, what am books? So, Andrew, <laughs> are books me? <laughs> what if books, but too much? How do I books? Books to you. 
and me. Tuppence. <laughs> I was, you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to reference the Tuppence. song. <laughs> the song from uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Books. But I couldn't yeah. remember. The perhaps, perhaps, perhaps song? The one where he's uh, he's uh, he's singing at the top and he's, uh, what is he? Never mind. I don't even This is remember. a good story. That's a really good this story. Is, Excellent radio, a, too. Um, this is what movie. we might call the sultry podcasting. <laughs> Ambling <laughs> around, <laughs> drinking some bourbon. So Margaret has been Margaret has been on the show. This is our, her third time this year. What? She's the Steve Martin of Overdue. Oh my god! You guys. Yeah, she's the Billy Crystal of of Overdue. I'm um, um, I'm raising the roof in my podcast closet. It's it seems like it needs raised. It's becoming though, really. a silo slowly but surely. <laughs> <laughs> what were your first two books? You read um, Little House on the Prairie. Correct. And um, are you there, Goddess Me, Margaret? What are you? Boom. You're, you've got the trifecta, the hat trick, hat trick. man. Yep. What is your What is your third book that you're this doing week? For Overdue? I come to you with the Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. Who is that? AKA Joanne K. Rowling. Whoa. Author of the Harry Potter books for people who have are astonished to hear her name pronounced correctly. I, I did learn that in advance of this show. <laughs> rolling rhymes with bowling, not rowling. Rolling Which makes sense. Yeah. J.K. Rowling writes books about Hermione, right? Yep, absolutely. It's uncanny <laughs> how you got that. I was gonna make a joke about like how she wrote the Hunger Games or something stupid. It's like another version of a joke I made about C.S. Lewis, like fifteen episodes. You ago. shouldn't. You should not make that joke because. The YA pedants will come for you, and their vengeance will be swift and fierce. So J.K. Rowling wrote mm-hmm. uh, wrote Twilight, uh, wrote Fifty <laughs> yeah. Shades of Grey. Uh, yeah, what? so was she, real... uh, but she's she's best known for the Harry Potter books. Correct. The, the one of those facts is a fact, and the other two are not. <laughs> Um, and you know which one is a fact. This is this she welcome pays. to Icebreakers, the podcast. <laughs> one truth and two lies. In two thousand four, one an interesting fact I learned about her as I was researching. I mm-hmm. did research, believe it or not. Stop it. Um, in two thousand four, she became the first person uh, to become a U.S. dollar billionaire from writing books. And the lesson that I take from that is: don't write books if you want money. <laughs> what? Because it took. Until 2004, like for all of human existence, until the year 2004, 11 right. years ago, no human person had gotten one billion U.S. dollars by writing. Now books. that Andrew, humans have been around for a long time. U.S. bucks have only been around for like 250 years. Legal, legal Bingo. tender. Bingo. You know, God probably has a lot more than a billion. He has currency that greatly values, overvalue. Mm. He has currency <laughs> that would be significantly more valuable than a billion U.S. dollars. That's the sentence I wanted to say. He put those dinosaur bones, bones in right? the earth to throw us <laughs> off the gold did. standard. That's, That's true. God oil. That's God bucks. Oil is God bucks. <laughs> he put it in the earth, and that like he thought it would be safe there. But we found it, and we've been stealing from him for years. What are we talking about? I don't know. We're talking about J.K. Rowling. <laughs> just that, just she made a lot of money from writing Harry Potter, and yep. it is it's the best selling book series in history. 
And this segues into why she's writing under a pseudonym. I found an interview. She doesn't give a lot of interviews. Every once in a while, she'll show up like either in an interview or on Twitter and just like drop some Harry Potter fact like, oh, Dumbledore's gay. I'm out. <laughs> Talk about this for the next three weeks. Right. Idiots. Um, but she's she was talking about um, how she's very she's very grateful to the fans of the Harry Potter series. But uh, this is a quote from her. There was a phenomenal amount of pressure that went with being the writer of Harry Potter and that aspect of publishing those books I do not particularly miss. So you can probably understand the appeal of going away and creating something very different and just letting it stand or fall on its own merits. Mm -hmm. Now, that's that's interesting because like when it came out under Robert Galbraith's name, it was fairly well reviewed but either sold 500 copies or 1500 copies depending on who you ask yeah and when it when it came out that it was jk rowling writing under a pseudonym sales went up four thousand percent so this is this is obviously question number one it's like are you guys robert galbraith truthers because you're notionally (laughs) aware of this whole thing? thing well i mean i'm one so yes it is a thing and what like, does that even mean, <clears throat> Margaret? Okay, let yeah, me explain. Have to explain. Supply some context for me, please. Well, so we know she wrote this under a pseudonym. We know it was successfully released oh. in secret, right? And then there was uh, someone on Twitter, uh, uh-huh. according to Wikipedia, excuse me, it was a novelist and columnist for the Sunday Times, India Knight, tweeted that she thought it was very good for a debut novel. In response, a tweeter called Jude Caligari said that the author was rolling. Sorry, I did quotes. You can probably hear it in my voice, but I just wanted the listening audience to be aware. Um, so this started a, you know, a tumbleweed rolling down the hill that became an avalanche in JK this mixed metaphor. Down the hill. <laughs> yeah, later on down the hill, a colder. Um, and another person investigated it and he like fed the different different prints into different places and was like, oh no, like there are lyrical writing similarities between these samples. And then he like figured out it was JK Rowling and told everybody and then the book started selling really well. So I'm gonna go ahead and say that what I mean when I say that I am a Robert Galbraith truther is that I think this reveal was an inside job. Now, I don't think JK <laughs> is the one who did it. I don't think Joe spoiled this. But it's like, let's say you're Little Brown, right? And you okay. have in your stable a well-reviewed mystery novel written by literally the best-selling author of all time. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And you've sold either 500 copies of it or 1,500 copies of it. Are either you going to tell great. me that you're not going to find a fall guy, pay him off in advance, and get him to leak the secret of who is actually writing these books so that you can sell and make some dollar dollar bills, y'all. I don't yeah, buy I it. have I have no I have not done extensive research. I have no evidence, but I am a hundred percent sure that that's exactly what happened. A hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. Jeff Yule can't melt steel books, everybody. <laughs> I'm just saying this is definitely the kind of mystery that I was designed to solve. The J.K. Rowling, somebody on the inside actually sold out your pseudonymity because they were not going to publish a book by you without making the dollars that come from publishing a book made by you. I'm I am I'm totally down with that theory, but I also would posit like a sub theory that says that J.K. Rowling was not 
super like upset with it once it happened. Oh. Like obviously it was going to come out, right? Right. Was it? I mean, yeah. It would have to come out eventually. <laughs> Welcome but to the I part of like... the show where we speculate based on just whatever, however we just well, how we here, feel. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Didn't right, um, I just have woman's intuition here, okay, Andrew? Don't question me. Didn't um uh Rowling's like legal representatives like Oh, someone a... got fired. Didn't Someone th- totes got fired over this. Yeah, and I'm then just they saying made he was like probably a... paid off in advance. And then they made a donation like on Rowling's behalf and reimbursed her for like legal fees regarding all this stuff. Yeah, because they did. the the best friend of a of the wife of someone at that firm like is the tweeter. Yep. Like th- if that there is one. It's a person, good. This is a tangled web. This is a pretty good tangled web. If there is one person who does not need reimbursed for anything, it's right. J.K. Rowling. Like <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, that's why they made it as a donation to. Yeah, um, that's true. She's big on that. charity. Yeah, like she's a good rich person. Snaps to her. She's like Bill Gates level skilled rich person. Should, okay, Margaret. Should we usually we do a little bit of. Uh, biographical stuff now jk rowling is pretty freaking famous she sure is so maybe we don't need to do as much well i think we've kind of done it here with my um inside job theory we can just assume that that's our biography (laughs) but anyways what i'm saying is little brown you've got two goals one you want everyone to know this book is written by jk rowling two you want plausible deniability so that when jk is pissed that she can't keep writing as a pretend military investigator Uh uh-huh like you can be like JK, JK, totes not on us. It's on other people. It's these people, and we we're can't firing them. Twitter, right? It's Twitter. Do you, you think that JK Rowling signs her emails LOL JK and like? <laughs> I hope so. She no. tries to make everybody figure out like whether she was being serious or not. I'm pretty sure she in doesn't. In all of her correspondence. Sorry. J.K. Rowling fans listening to this podcast. I think Sorry, she's a JK lovely Rowling. human. I know you're but, out there. But we're going to have, I'm going to have some maybe, some like gently harsh words for her throughout this because she and I have a real fraught relationship. It's not like me and Dickens level fraught, but like it's a close second. Well, so, okay. So let that, we can use that to segue, I think, is that these books sell well. Obviously, they, most of, they owe most of their sales to like being written by literally the most famous author in the the whole known universe Mm -hmm. like do you do you feel like the critical reception of the books has been tied up in that do you think that this actually is a good book like maybe this is a question that we circle around back to at the end but like that's my big question about this having read none of them and having no experience with it and also being a person who thinks that harry potter's Five, six, and seven oh, are honestly same. not are honestly not that great. Mm. Like, is this actually a good book? And maybe, like I said, maybe this isn't the question we answer now. Maybe it's how we close. But well, I would like, be interested as to hear you, Margaret's yeah. thoughts on the Harry Potter series and kind of the as someone who is is you know deeply involved in advocating for books and people reading and a literary lifestyle. Right, like Craig. these books. You. are credited <laughs> with a big explosion in people reading, right? Like, Regardio sure. Ridiosa is what those books said. <laughs> and everyone started reading again. Craig, just, 
Maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say, Craig. God love you. Get on the bus. Um, God love you. Might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard him say, and I've heard him say a lot more things than you have. (laughs) Beep beep. You're on my bus. And uh, so, what do you think of those books? Like, how do they function? If if no one had heard of those books and they were in your podcast closet, how would you come out feeling versus everyone in the world loving them? And you read them and then you just need to talk to people about what Snape did to Dumbledore or not. So here's my hot take on the Harry Potter books. <laughs> Fresh take. Here we go. Fresh take. Hot take. Um, the first four are great. Just yep. incredibly fun, engaging. Um, and also, and this is important for the podcast overall, crackerjack mystery plotting. And like characterization... Not so great. Psychological realism, not not really pleasant. Present, barely even looked for. Terrific world building. The last three books, kind of garbage. Yeah, because it's like especially and once like, you get into especially once you get into teen Harry, like her characterization oh problems become way more evident. I thought that she oh did. Boy. She does a they not. Sure do. She does a not terrible job. Like characterizing her leads at least like even though most most people in the harry potter universe can kind of be boiled down to whatever quirk it is that they have yeah like at least harry ron hermione maybe like malfoy and a couple of the professors felt like people yeah to some extent but then once like adolescence hits it all goes out the window (laughs) and like my number one least favorite thing is when i'm complaining about how bad book five is everybody's like well harry potter was a teenager like of course he was whiny and unpleasant and i'm like i read ya all the time i deal with teenagers i know teenagers are insufferable this is a different level of insufferable and it's not mere insufferability it's just bad lazy writing Mm -hmm. and i have to say it's bad lazy writing that to a certain extent also characterizes the cormoran strike novels although not in her defense the very first one which we're primarily going to be discussing in this podcast let's talk Um, about this book sure let's get down to it brass tax time what the heck is this book we'll get to like how cool or cool it isn't later i Mm -hmm. suppose but like i don't even know what this? What is a Cormoran strike? I believe it is a move in uh, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> it's actually Street Fighter Three Alpha, Andrew. But it's <laughs> cool. Okay, I'm, my mistake. My Hyper mistake. fighting. It's cool though. How do you? It's a killer instinct. <laughs> How many other fighting games can you name? Combo breaker. So, Joanne Rowling. The Jojo Rowling. Do you want me to give you guys a rundown on it? Maybe. Do it. All right. I can do that for you. So. Thank you. <laughs> opening credits roll. Ba, on a London ba, street ba, in Mayfair. <laughs> where a very famous supermodel has just fallen from her elite penthouse uh, balcony onto the ground and just totes died. Right. And it's like two cops are in the tent with her while like masses amass around the tent, leaving flowers and taking paparazzi photos because fame is poisonous. I don't know if you guys have heard. Anyways, (laughs) that's the the new thing. (laughs) It's the new thing. It's the hot new message for the kids these days. Um, One guy 
is like, it's clearly a suicide and it's garbage that you said it's a murder. And the other guy is like, shrug. And then we leave. And that's it. And then okay. three months later, um, zoom in on a cheerful young 25-year-old named Robin who's just gotten engaged, who's on her way to a temp assignment, who knows where, somewhere in London City. Uh, and she arrives and, oh my God, it's a private detective agency. Only it's a private detective agency where, spoiler alert, the private detective is down on his luck and like, mm, kind of a borderline alcoholic. Nobody's ever seen this plot set up before. Wait, does he does he like dames with legs up to here? <laughs> I mean, too? he does, but he wouldn't describe them that way, okay, unfortunately. Cool. Would he say games? <laughs> he wouldn't, again, unfortunately. Okay, that's all right. Okay. Would um, he like well-qualified dames who are good at their <laughs> jobs and earned their way to the top? No, sadly, he doesn't like them either. <laughs> Does he just not like dames? He has some real women problems, and we're going to talk about that in the greater context. One, of this book, and two, sort of, of the series in general. Cool. So, okay. Robin's in the front office, temping. Cormoran Strike, this detective, is in his office being like, oh my god, what am I going to do? I'm just about to go bankrupt, and my temp is about to open all of my final notice bills. And suddenly... Dun, 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 dun. A client walks into the office. Not a lady, unfortunately. So no legs up to or down to anywhere. Just a man. <laughs> a man with <laughs> just no a guy. Just a man who looks, quote unquote, like an albino rabbit. His gams were fine. His gams go unmentioned, but his starched white shirt is pristine and it looks like he has expensive shoes. So Cormoran can tell he's got money, right? Mm. Um, and this guy, it turns out, is the brother of the famous supermodel who died in the opening scene never expected that one to be called back to thought it was just a throwaway um <laughs> yeah. who's ever heard of an opening gambit <laughs> don't not you me love don't you love those books where the prologue is just like a short story <laughs> that has nothing to do with the rest of the story my favorite kind of book mm-hmm. um and he's like, the police have decided it's a suicide just because she was on lithium, but I know she was actually murdered, and I've been reading the internet message boards, and I can convey some facts to you. And Cormoran is like, ooh, boy, this guy is baddie, but I need the money, so I guess I'll take this case on. And then, further spoilers, guess what? Lula Landry, the supermodel, was murdered, Whoa. and the police were wrong, and Cormoran solves the mystery. So a Reddit user hires him to solve a murder. Um, no, the brother of the murdered woman, who's reluctantly become a Reddit user because he's like <laughs> As obsessed. Most Reddit with his users are. Death. <laughs> okay. He's a he's a grieving brother who's resorted in times of need to Reddit. That sounds reasonable. <laughs> um, and I should warn your readers. I mean, like you already warned them at the beginning of the episode, anyways. But I should further warn your readers that I am definitely going to completely spoil the ending of this mystery novel. And so I'll tell our have... listeners also. It's fine. Yeah, right, and... yeah. For the people who read the transcripts and for the uh, the listeners who listen to the sound version, we will let them all know. I'll tell our viewers too. Fantastic! I love it that you tell your viewers for the, for the vlog version of Overdue. <laughs> They would appreciate the sweater. That word right sounds now. like a disease. It sure does. Most words to do with the internet sound like diseases, not just viral. All of them. <laughs> Let me talk to you about some of the suspects involved in this murder. I'm going to give you a rundown of some of the suspects. And once I've given you the rundown, 
I want you guys to be like, boom, I think that person is the killer. Oh, cool. All right, give me a line. I've watched a lot of Bones, so I am primed to do this. All right. Some of the suspects. Uh, Number one, uh, Lula's best friend slash frenemy, a fellow supermodel who slept with Lula's boyfriend on the night that she died. Number two. Lula's coke-addicted boyfriend, who seems very much in the model of um, that dumb alt-rock singer that Kate Moss dated for all those years, Pete Doherty or something like that. It's a very helpful analogy. I'm sure both of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, great. Anyways, yeah, American actor (laughs) who was on the outs with Lula, possibly because he was sleeping with her frenemy. Um, Two, uh, Lula may have a birth brother who would stand to inherit all of her millions when she died intestate. Uh, four, Lula has a friend she made while in rehab who's, like, poor. Um, but, <laughs> okay, like... is that but, like, all we know about her? Ew. Like, roughly, yes. <laughs> roughly, yes, that's all we know about her. Okay. Um, five... The shady Hollywood producer who shares her Mayfair townhouse. It's like flats. Uh, And so, like, he lives right down below her and he's, like, desperately wanted her to be in movies. And he seems to be some combination of um, Jerry Bruckheimer and Harvey Weinstein. In terms of, like, quality of films created, Bruckheimer. In terms of, like, wealth and power in the world, Weinstein. Just giving you a head. Okay. Giving you a basic idea. Six, the very grieving brother who brought the case to Cormoran Strike's knowledge for reasons mm. that would be mysterious. Seven, the uh, <laughs> designer who she's like been partnered with, who's also her best friend, um, but who maybe wanted out of the contract he just signed with her for very desirable reasons. So I'd say like those are our seven primary suspects. Of these seven, who do you think did it? Okay, Mr. Bones, you go first. Um, the rehab friend. Rehab friend. Andrew for rehab friend. Craig? Reddit using brother. I'm going to say here, Bones failed you, Andrew. Oh, no. Because Craig got it right. It's totally the brother. was the rehab using brother? Good. Totally the Reddit using brother. Who is such a sociopath? So he comes to Cormoran, right? Because he's like, I don't know if you remember, but we've actually met before. You were friends with my little brother who died under suspicious circumstances as a child driving his bike into a quarry, right? And you find <laughs> out later on in the don't book- drive your bike into a quarry. Come yeah. on, kids. You find out later on in the book that the brother, the Reddit-using brother, murdered that adopted child. And then in the wake of that adopted child being dead, his like crazy, his baby crazy rich mom, who was infertile, adopted another child- and, like, probably bribed children's services to make it happen and also had to accept a biracial child. And, like, that was the only way they could make it happen. And, like, and so, like, he still didn't have her all to himself. And so that's why he had to murder Lula. Also, he was embezzling and he needed her money. So he does this. And then he hires Cormoran, hoping that his plan to frame Lula's birth brother, who she had succeeded in tracking down and is a military hero could be captured and like the crime would be pinned on him and then he'd be like that much more safe even though he was plenty safe to begin with what with the police thinking it was suicide that's that's the big reveal Mm -hmm. huh and what i can tell you 
Go right, ahead. Yeah. What no, can no, you go tell ahead. us? Ask no, me I was, your question I was, first. I was going to ask about characterization because the way that you ran down all of those characters and like their lists of traits and stuff mm-hmm. made it sound like, like many of the Harry Potter characters, that these are people who are best described by the one quirk that they have <laughs> and that and that rolling here has fallen into that classic writer's trap of mistaking a quirk for a personality. So what I would say is that her mileage with characterizing men is significantly better than her mileage with characterizing women. Interesting. Um, Elaborate, please. Gisa May is the designer who uh, Lula has a partnership with, and he's, like, one of my favorite characters in the book. And he's just, like, very sweet and sort of saucy, uh, and he seems to genuinely be gutted that Lula is gone. Uh, and you have some great scenes with him where, like, he's commercially engaged and stuff like that. But at the same time, he's, you know, um, like a genuine friend to her. And I feel like he feels he feels like a real person. He is black. Lula is half black. And one of the sort of organizing ideas of the mystery search is that she is obsessed with trying to find her father. She knows her mom and her mom is like a trashy white British whore. Okay. Right. But her mom is like, your dad was this amazing genius African student, and he was like the one good man I ever slept with. Um, but I don't remember his name or any telling details about him that would help you find him. But she does succeed in finding him, obviously, because it's a mystery novel, and also in finding her birth brother, who ends up inheriting all of her money because uh-huh. she dies intestate, and deserving it because it's a J.K. Rowling book, so like the morals are sound, and a little more black and white than they really need to be (laughs) yeah you're squinting disapprovingly at your own (laughs) statement there yeah she's uh, she's very dickensian in that way there can be no question about who the good and the bad guys are. right um can i ask quick margaret as as someone as you expressed earlier uh an affinity for or at least an extreme familiarity with agatha christie yeah yeah can you compare the level of characterization Oh but well, <laughs> in terms Agatha of like Christie depth, because lo- she's pretty like here's the quirk or here's yep. yeah. here's Agatha, the three sentence backstory that's going to explain why this person's a suspect. Agatha has like her twelve archetypes of characters, yeah, right, and they're just shuffled up accordingly and like doled back out, and like it's all just window dressing for the puzzly plot and for yes. the joy of watching whichever one of her detectives you're watching detect. Yes. Um, and elaborate deaths and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, so, in terms of that, like, I think J.K. Or, or sorry, pardon me, Robert is doing a oh, better yeah. job here. Okay, Robert. For one thing, Robert isn't edited to the same um, vanishing point that Agatha is. Where like Agatha Christie books are like 180 pages long. Oh like yeah, nothing. Mm-hmm. throwaways this page this book is 480 pages Ooh. yeah that that means that nobody's editing you because you're jk rowling does which it actually need to be? sort of no doesn't need to sort, be that long it sort of lends some credence to the to the idea that this was always it always gonna it was always gonna come out that yeah it was jk rowling because like obviously this person was treated like an internationally famous author and not like some some right. like what what's Robert's backstory? He like retired from the armed forces oh, in two thousand three yeah, or something. So like whatever whatever that backstory is, that person is gonna get edited more than J.K. Rowling. Right. Is. 
that person doesn't release a 486 page debut novel. No. Well, that person would still probably release maybe a 350 page debut novel though. Yeah. Because we just we write longer books now than we did when Agatha was writing. Yeah. Good old Agatha. What a dame. Sure. Now, um, does that how does that length contribute to your experience of reading the mystery, Margaret? Like do, is there room for you to get ahead of it more I so than in, in a shorter book? Never have finished this book if I read it in print the first time. I would have gotten bored. And that's not really a commentary on the book. It's more reflective of just like my, how my time differs for print and audio consuming. So it's like I read in dribs and drabs on the train and it would not have had sufficient narrative propulsion for me to get through maybe the first 150 pages Mm. Right. But if I could have gotten through those first 150, the remaining 330 would have had sufficient. I got to get this. Yeah. That I would have gone through even if it wasn't very convenient for my drive Um, or my ride, to be more exact. I take the (laughs) T. So we didn't talk about this. You listened to this book. I listened to it and then for you. And then read it. I reread it because I wanted to be, you know informed and i've listened to the remaining two and i'll also say that i did this while procrastinating so like these three books are never something that i would have sought out where i was like i have all the time in the world what's the number one thing i want to do with my time i would have been like i wouldn't have been like jk rowling's mystery novels that's where it's at I would have yeah, picked Margaret, I else. never. I I haven't known you for all that long, but I never would have pegged you as a procrastinator. That's <laughs> sounds so alien. Like, I oh, have no you idea. card. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this case, I was supposed to be working on the thing for which I was paid a speaker fee, <laughs> and therefore I couldn't consume like top drawer entertainment material because that would be rewarding myself too much. But I uh. also. <laughs> Couldn't not consume something, so I listened to 45 hours of Robert Galbraith novels, and I watched seven or eight hours of the terrible TV show How to Get Away with Murder. The mm. terrible but Ooh. obliquely compelling TV show How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah, yeah wise, wise qualification like, there thank in you. case our listeners like it. My understanding of that show is like, I'm out of Scandal, what can I do now? I would recommend watching it before I'd recommend watching Scandal, to be perfectly okay. frank. Because I think Viola sure. Davis's performance is leagues beyond anything that's going on on Scandal. Hot take, hot take. Performance-wise. And plot-wise, they're like equivalently absurd. This is a preview of the other podcast that we do, Portland Television. Don't True. take over this podcast. What did you invite me on for, Craig, if not that? Biting yeah, Mr. Wit. Bus, your bus driver metaphor is just falling apart, isn't it? And you can't stand I can't, it. I don't want So when Margaret turns up bus. murdered tomorrow, we're going to know exactly who did yeah, it. Yeah, that's going to yeah. happen, Craig. Her the podcast brother. bus driver. Yeah. Her, her poor designer Her podcast brother. bus driver drove her over the edge of into a, a quarry, quarry cliff. Into a yep. quarry. Into yeah. the quarry. Uh, just because he wanted his adoptive parents to love him better, despite the fact that he was fundamentally unlovable. So what's the deal? You so, listen to you listen to 45 hours of this stuff. Yep. You're sure coming did. here saying that you have some reservations about some of it? Yeah. I mean, they work great as audiobooks. I very rarely do a native audio read, which is what I mean. Like, the first time I encounter mm. a text, the very mm. rare that I'll do it through book, 
through audio because it just won't absorb enough. Turns out not absorbing enough is more of a feature and less of a bug with these. <laughs> right? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Oh, of course. Um, And that's especially true moving forward. This is by far and away the most successfully structured surprise mystery plot based on sort of my knowledge of like the butler did it conventions like three quarters of the way through i knew it had to be the brother yeah. although there were some convincing moments where it seemed like it might have been his dowdy girlfriend okay um but I knew it had to be the brother just because, like, that was the only choice that remains that would be sufficiently surprising. Yes. That's, um, isn't that a funny thing where, like, you're so hungry for <laughs> the satisfactory reveal right. that you start winnowing away the choices yeah. <laughs> that would honestly be literally more surprising because it would be far more outlandish for that to right. be the thing she wrote. Right. Well, yeah, cuz well, like in a meta way, would it be like would it be more unexpected for it to be the person who the book sets you up to most suspects? Like that's where my bones watching experience comes into focus <laughs> is like that show trained me to look for the character who gets like four lines, like just enough that you know who they are, but mm-hmm. not enough so that you start to suspect them in right. whatever murder it was right. that happened. And that's always the person who did it. And I always thought, started, I started to think like, would it not be more surprising if it was just like <laughs> the person we immediately suspected or like <laughs> the idiot who like finds the bones in the cold open or something like, <laughs> um, give me something. I'm not expecting bones. Give me something genuinely surprising. So I interrupted you you complimenting this book, Margaret. Sorry. Right. Well, the mystery plotting in this one is like solid. So I would say one of the best bits of mystery plotting that she achieves is the reason that the police think it was murder to begin with at all is that the um, coked up wife of the movie producer who lives downstairs says, I heard a man shouting I heard an argument from the flat upstairs. I heard a man in the flat with Lula mm. right before she died. And I saw mm. her come falling down. Um, so the police look into this and they investigate their apartment and they find, one, like a line of cocaine on like a mirror in the bathroom. And two, they find that the windows in the flats are completely soundproof and that there's absolutely no way to hear anything that's going on outside. And it was a freezing cold night in January. So, like, they assume that this crazy drug addict must have made the story up in order to get attention. Isn't that like a key plot point in the murder in or the the kidnapping in Ace Ventura? Isn't there like a whole thing with like a soundproof? Sliding glass door. Say that of the three of us, you are the authority on Ace Ventura <laughs> Pet Detective on this podcast. So Finkel is Einhorn. Us. Einhorn is Finkel. Shut up. <laughs> you are literally talking out of your butt right now. Crying game references. <laughs> crying game. Laces out. <laughs> this podcast has become a crying game for me. Um, well, do you guys want to hear what actually happened? Please. Because this was like the one moment where yes. I was like, all right, Joe, you got this. Joe, Joe. My faith in Joe. you, based on the skilled mystery plotting of the prisoner of Azkaban, was not misplaced. So the way this all works out is it's observed on a number of occasions that the movie producer is like 
has like some serious woman issues. He's like been accused of sexually assaulting people and he's got like a violent, violent, violent temper. And she notices that um that like a bunch of potted plants have been moved out onto the balcony of their apartment in between like they weren't there right before the murder and they are there immediately after the murder. Hmm. And so he's like, hmm, what are they trying to hide? And what he figures out is that the movie producer had locked his wife out in her underwear, like on the balcony outside their apartment to punish her for something. And it was while she was locked out of the apartment on the balcony that she overheard the fight upstairs and, you know, witnessed this entire thing and then came sort of like flying back in and immediately ran downstairs still in her underwear to report that she'd seen Lula falling. Um, And like one of the things they commented is that she was shaking like a whippet, which is like a small Italian greyhound type dog to the undog breed informed. Oh, I thought it was like a skip it. <laughs> I thought skip it, skip it, do a pop up, do a pop. Whippets have go. won American Kennel Club contests. I know what a whippet is. <laughs> Don't try well, in to. In case any of your listeners slash viewers weren't aware, um... slash readers, right? <laughs> Don't forget them. <laughs> Never. How could I? <laughs> um, he manages to figure out that she wasn't shaking because she was high. She was shaking because she was freezing, <laughs> despite also occasionally being high. You're not on drugs. You're just cold. Right, right. <laughs> and this is all done in a sufficient progressive way where, like, enough indicators are given to you about what Cormoran is thinking is going on that, like, maybe you could put the puzzle together, but you wouldn't necessarily be able to come to the conclusion on your own. Mm. When the conclusion is revealed, you're like, oh, shit totally should have guessed that which by the way is the perfect twist ending because when you get to the end and it's revealed you feel like you should have known it um so that was the most impressive piece of mystery plotting that she did and the mere fact that for 75 percent of the book i couldn't figure out how or why lula's brother would have done it i was only able to sort of use like mystery plot meta machinations to determine that it was probably him. Yeah. Like that was like snaps to her. Um, I cannot give her equivalent snaps for the subsequent two books in this series, which are nowhere near as good on a mystery plotting front. Okay. Just a real letdown in that respect. Something we haven't talked about. Sure. Is Mr. Strike himself. Yeah, that's why. Now that was his father. So I understand. Cormoran well, Blue Strike. No, it's actually not his father. This oh, is actually man. a very foundational part of his character. His last name is his mother's last name. His mother Ooh. is Leda Strike, and she was the most famous groupie of the 1970s. And his dad is basically uh, Mick Jagger, or an equivalent called oh, Johnny Rokesby. Sweet. Um, but he was born on the wrong side of the blanket. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, what? His so Johnny Rokesby's liaison with Lita Strike became famous because she got pregnant and said it was his, and it led to a very expensive divorce for one Mr. Rokesby. So uh, Cormoran's relationship with his father is extremely strained, Um, and like he has all of these half siblings who were raised in like wealth and prominence. Mm. Mm. Um, 
one of whom helps get him into sort of like various different restaurants to meet with like the movie producer's wife and the fashion designer because these people are all sort of like high caliber people who Cormoran feels like alienated from despite being an object of fascination to them. Um, so his own backstory kind of informs elements of the case. Well, in fact, he puts forward that he thinks that uh, the brother came to him specifically because he thought that Cormoran's background would make him mm. easy to manipulate. And mm. to further inform Cormoran's background, his mother died under suspicious circumstances. And 25-year-old Cormoran were like, was like, she didn't die of a heroin overdose. She never did heroin. Her husband murdered her. And made it look like a heroin overdose. And you all believe it because she's a slut. And you think this is what sluts get in the end anyways. And everybody was like, pipe down, button, you're 25. She died of a heroin overdose. She was a slut. That's what happens to them. She wasn't cold. She was high. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, And so he puts forward that, like, he thinks uh, the murderer came to him thinking that this story of, like, a beautiful young woman cut down in her prime under suspicious circumstances would have such emotional resonance for him that it would be really easy to lead him by the nose to the conclusion that he wanted him to come to, which is that her birth brother actually murdered her. That's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, no, like, that's good. That's good. That's good thinking. That's thorough. Uh paying attention to details and building the making of the plot. Corbin as a person, though, and as a character, is so garbage <laughs> can you, can you so, do you have like a top I, three I list like three worst things or i shouldn't say that <laughs> there are plenty of people who seem to find him compelling and i will say that he has sort of a recognizable character i just don't like his character at all number one worst thing about him is he seems to be perpetual he has like major issues with women so he's always talking about how like women want him to talk about his feelings and he never wants to talk about his feelings and he's constantly marveling at like how his secretary robin who becomes sort of like his private detective apprentice slash love interest maybe over the next course of the books which is not a development i'm on board with but either way how like how remarkable she is because like when he's upset about things, she doesn't, like, immediately ask him what's wrong and pester him. She behaves like a normal human being would. So there's this whole strand of sort of talk about Robin as, like, an exceptional female that I find very insulting. Because to me, she actually reads like a totally normal female. Mm. But and the then, idea that yeah. she's exceptional is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like interesting it's, because how does that like how does that read coming from a woman like does that, that make it worse or better interesting or things about reading the Robert Galbraith books is trying to tease out like to what degree this is like performative misogynistic swagger because it's like what she thinks would go appropriately in like a mystery novel and then like to what right, degree yeah. this is actually just like Joanne K Rowling's internalized misogyny having the right to sort of strut about more openly. So the most notable example of this is the fact that at the beginning of the book, Cormoran has just broken up with his on and off girlfriend slash fiance of like 15 years, who is this stunning, wealthy brunette. Um, And their relationship foundered because she told him that she was pregnant, but like couldn't tell him when the pregnancy had happened and was sufficiently vague about it in such a way that he, like, wasn't sure if the pregnancy had ever been real, one, and then subsequently, like, wasn't sure if the baby had been his or 
the other persons she was sleeping with. And, like, throughout the course of the book, Charlotte, throughout the course of the series, Charlotte does things like getting engaged immediately to the boyfriend she dumped at Oxford to be with Cormoran for... She dumped this other boyfriend for Cormoran. And then, like, within a month of dumping Cormoran, she gets engaged to that guy. And then, like, goes on the cover of Tatler to talk about being, like, a a countess in Scotland as a count of marrying him. Like, just to spite him. And all sorts of other ridiculous stuff. And he's, like, constantly worried that she's gonna, like, throw all of his stuff into the street and, like, bleach it and light it on fire. And it's just, like, this litany of crazy bitch stuff. And it's also clearly par for the course for, like, what she's always done. But she's so beautiful that he, like, can't walk away. Which is just, boy, guys, a super tiresome relationship dynamic. (laughs) If you want to handicap my ability to be invested in a human, give them a totally garbage romantic partner that I'm supposed to find sympathetic that they were obsessed with for years. Also, Cormoran is super ugly. Um... So one of JK's problems is that she really likes to repeat herself, especially when describing characters. So sure. Cormoran is consistently described. He's like super tall. He's 6'3". Uh, and he has a face. He looks like Beethoven. If Beethoven had had like his nose broken while like street fighting. Right? It's and then the ugly final Beethoven. Detail. If someone had performed the Cormoran strike on him and broken <laughs> exactly. his nose. And then the uh, the favorite detail that she likes to strut out is the fact that his hair is quote unquote pube like in texture. Stop. There are words that you can use to describe how that Curly is hair? without without hitting pube like. It's true. Yeah. There are words. Bristly. Yeah. Perhaps. Coarse. Coarse. Dense. Curly cued. Yeah. Unkempt. Pube like is like Pubish. really pubish. Really, the way just to go. Uh, like it makes my skin crawl just thinking about it. And I tweeted about these books a lot because as soon as I finished, how it, could you not? Yeah, I like really wanted to talk with people about the dynamics of J.K.'s literary swagger and where it was coming from. Um, and a lot Wait, of people you define that, calling a guy's hair pubish as no, part no, of no. her swagger. Literary swagger meaning like. Whether she was performing like a drag king or not, not like she's uh, got it. Okay, it's the okay, business. Okay, she got okay. swag. You see where I'm coming from now. RuPaul's literary race or something. <laughs> exactly. Bat <laughs> your engines. We were talking about my spontaneous bursting into song, and it's there like come a couple couple times in this podcast. So Margaret, to bring it back to the question that I kind of launched the book discussion with, mm-hmm. d- would this book be would we be talking about it if J.K. Rowling hadn't written it? Like, is it good or is I it just think, written by a very famous author? I think we would be talking at least a little about the cuckoo's calling. Um, like, I think the mystery plotting is good enough and she's got more of a handle on sort of the swirling subplots and themes um, than a lot of writers do. She's pulling mm-hmm. off what she sets out to do. It's not entirely my thing, but it's good. And again, the plot for mystery novels is really where it begins and ends, and that's yep. sound. Yep, um, 
We would not be talking about the other two in this series anywhere near as much as we are if they weren't by J.K. Rowling. Yeah, because you you get into um, you get into a bunch of different conversations about like okay, so we're talking about it because it's J.K. Rowling, right? But how would the writing be different if she wasn't J.K. Right. Rowling? <laughs> <laughs> And like maybe maybe an editor and and a different perspective would make the books better, but I would hope so. Um, because the second two books, the second book is like unpleasant and not a satisfying mystery, and then the third book is just fine. But at that what point, the, that is the most awful thing you said all show. Fine, you know, fine in a way we're calling it fine is is both praise and insult. Yep. Which having watched Amazon's Man in the High Castle, I totally understand describing something that way. The problem is, is that she's relying more on your investment in the main characters to kind of generate interest in the plot. But it sounds like the main character is kind of a dick. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. And then, like, she's actually not that good at writing psychologically realistic characters in depth. So some, you find out something about Robin in the third book that's, like, a challenging thing that has to be handled with a certain amount of depth and insight. And, like, no, she's trying. But she didn't have to that do that much. in Harry Potter as much, right? Well, until she decided that she could in books five six and seven and just like wasn't any good at and it then at all. did yeah <laughs> yeah okay um in my opinion i understand many people's opinions differ from mine and they might be very mad at me for this opinion that i have that's fine but mine our is correct e- our and email is wrong, so our email address is the one that they're gonna <laughs> complain to um if you want to disagree with margaret the best way to do it is by emailing us at overduepod at gmail.com mm-hmm. you can also complain on twitter we are twitter.com slash overduepod <laughs> Uh, and then Facebook at facebook.com slash overdue pod. Those are all great ways to complain at us. <laughs> We've opened up so many avenues for complaints. It's kind of crazy that we yeah, have done this to bold. ourselves. <laughs> um, Craig, if they want to find out more about the show, where should they go? Well, if they were looking for more material to complain about, Andrew, they should head on over to overduepodcast.com where they can find links to back episodes of the show, including the other shows that Margaret's been on, uh, hey. that perhaps maybe you won't have as many complaints about. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of mean about Judy Bloom too. You can also find a link to our iTunes page, where you can rate and review us, which is a great way to help other people find the show, because if you don't know this, some people just open iTunes and they look for what's hot. And it's That's a so it's weird. an interesting way to find podcasts. But if you who've already found us go there and rate and review us, you can help those people out by sending us to our show. <laughs> help us get hot. Help us get hot. You can also help us get hot by going to patreon.com slash overdue pod and uh, directly supporting the show with a monthly uh, donation that helps us pay for hosting costs and buy books. And, and, and apparently all. like our heating bills. <laughs> so. Yeah, getting hot, 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 hot. Uh, and, hot, hot, hot. and pay for royalties of songs that <laughs> Margaret sings. Uh, <laughs> uh, I sing think... a bunch of Beatles songs real quick before we sign off. <laughs> oh on. my God, we'll be broke in a second. <laughs> Just saying the Beatles, we already owe $2,000. Uh, Margaret, assuming people are not 
coming to our show because they know you on the internet and they're they're actually going the other way on the information mm-hmm. superhighway where <laughs> should they get off what exit should they take to find the stuff that you do they should look for me on twitter at at mrs friday next they should listen for me on the podcast i co-host with andrew and our friend Catherine, appointment television i've never heard of that <laughs> where soon you'll be able to hear craig as well Wait, I was wait, what? Actually, yeah, the like the chronology of these podcasts is weird, but Craig's will have posted like a week and a half ago. Right. By the time this one posts on the overdue feed. So yeah, go listen to the appointment TV about um game shows if I you like no overdue. Of this. Gosh, you guys, totally were with us and you laughed for an hour and a half. This timeline is a so. is real Tennessee business, is what I can tell you. <laughs> It's more complicated than like when you're trying to watch Buffy and Angel in sequence. It's just a prisoner of Azkaban up in this house is what it is. We need a time the turner time to turner. get it. It was the time turner this. that made all these podcasts possible. Jinx. Um, so you also do like a newsletter or something. I was just about to say. And then finally, if you wanna, <laughs> if you wanna read more of Whatever my writing, if you wanna read me at a length greater than 140 characters, you can get my weekly newsletter, Two Bossy Dames at tinyletter.com slash two bossy dames um and it's a pretty phenomenal newsletter and you would be your life would be enriched by subscribing it's good if you like gifts <laughs> and and charming people writing oh. well about great things oh you yeah. you oh, scamp <laughs> thanks um, for being here margaret it was my pleasure thanks for having me guys oh and please anyone come talk to me about jk rowling's literary drag because i have so much more to say <laughs> Andrew, right, this everyone. is a podcast out of time, so I don't know what we're reading next. But uh... but we'll be back next Monday with it. <laughs> and until then, everybody, please try to be happy. Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.